1: Welcome to the 131st edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, why are businesses, including law firms, so vulnerable to ransomware? Today our guest is Dave White, President and Co-Founder at Axio, a company with an innovative methodology and software that provides companies visibility to their cyber risk and enables them to prioritize investments to protect their business and employees. Dave leads Axio's innovation team and federal team and is actively involved with clients deploying the Axio 360 solution. He's responsible for Axio's risk modeling, threat analysis, and assurance analysis activities. Welcome to the podcast today, Dave.
2: Thank you so much for having me today, and thank you for your interest in Axio and our research in ransomware preparedness. It's really it's really a pleasure to be with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Let's start, Dave, by having you tell us a little bit about Axio and its 2021 State of Ransomware Preparedness Report.
2: Sure, I'd be glad to do that. So Axio's mission is to enable security and business leaders to focus on risks that matter most. And in support of that mission, we've created a methodology and a software as a service platform that we call Axio 360. And that platform and methodology is designed to empower risk leaders and security leaders to confidently and continuously answer four critical questions about their cyber risk exposure. I'll run through those questions now. One is what's at risk in financial terms? We do this with a quantification methodology in our platform. It's a fast-paced and transparent methodology, works really well with teams. And, you know, I really believe that it's time as a in the cybersecurity discipline for us to move beyond the, the classic red, yellow, and green ratings and, and really start to, to talk about and understand cyber risks in financial terms, the language of business, so that we can speak about them in the same way our organizations speak about other risks. So that's the first question. What's at risk? The second question is, am I maturing my cybersecurity program as I need to be? And we answer that with a cybersecurity planning and management module in our platform that is all about conducting a continuous assessment with an eye toward the future. So, our assessment style is that you need to do an assessment that, that is accurate for where you are today, but always looking at some specific point in time in the future for where you intend to be at that point in time. And we, out of the box, support assessments based on the Department of Energy's Cybersecurity Capability Maturity Model, or C2M2, the NIST Cybersecurity Framework, or CSF, the DOD's new cybersecurity maturity model certification program or CMMC and the center for internet security top controls. We also have our own ransomware preparedness assessment in there. I'll, I'll talk more about that in the context of the study a little later. And we host custom assessments. So that's the, you know, am I maturing question? What's what really? What's my posture? And the third question is do I have the financial ability to recover from a major cyber event? We talk a lot about resilience in organizations and the bottom line on any organization's resilience is whether it has enough gas in the tank or money in the bank, if you will, to live and fight another day. And in response to a major cyber event, that's a question that you know leaders in organizations have some fiduciary responsibility to understand. We answer that question through an automated insurance analysis that takes an entire portfolio view to discover policy language deficiencies and really policy language features that are favorable and unfavorable to cyber coverage or cyber causes of loss, if you will. And then we do automated stress testing against those quantified scenarios to answer the question, you know, if we had this major event, how much of that would we have to consume on our financial statements? And you can only answer that by understanding how much you would likely recover from your insurance contracts. And finally, the fourth question is, where should I invest to reduce risk? We have the ability in our platform to model control changes and how those control changes will affect a given risk or a set of risks. And, you know, mostly those control changes are improvements. They could be improvements to in your assessment. They could be the implementation of a new protective technology or control. But we also have customers use that feature to evaluate negative changes, things that would increase your risk. Like, What does my risk look like if we do close on that acquisition and suddenly in three months from now, I'm responsible for an additional 12,000 endpoints? And so that modeling how changes in your environment or your control landscape will affect risk is a key value in what we do. So that's a little bit about Axio. We recently published the 2021 State of Ransomware Preparedness Report. This is the first time we've published this report. It was based on an analysis of de-identified data from our ransomware preparedness assessment. The responses were from a wide range of organizations that are all of whom are motivated to improve their ransomware defenses. This is not survey data or opinion-based data. So we think this data has uh, maybe more intrinsic value than than a simple survey since organizations were answering these control questions based on their own intention to improve their protections against ransomware. Well, Dave, most of our listeners are they're from the legal sector and a little, little the cat out of the
0: bag a little bit because I I think we pretty much know that they're somewhat ill prepared to to fight ransomware. But your report really identifies, I think, seven key areas that the firms could actually address. Can you talk a little bit about that? And that I think is the meat of what
2: what our listeners want to hear. Sure, John. I'd be happy to. So the data we're working with here is from our ransomware preparedness assessment. So let me start by just saying a couple of things about the assessment. We built it early in 2021 in collaboration with a major insurer who shared insights with us from more than 200 ransomware claims in the prior year. And so we're really confident in the sort of underpinnings of the ransomware preparedness assessment. And that assessment covers 65 controls that are key to the prevention, containment, and restoration of ransomware. And it's you know it's available for free. Any of your listeners who are interested can find it on our website, axio.com. For the study, we took those 65 controls and organized them into seven key areas that are critical for that ransomware prevention, containment, and restoration. And those seven areas are, one, management of privileged access. Look, privileged credentials, privileged access are the most powerful keys in the organization's infrastructure. And we know from recent ransomware events that the ransomware criminals have gotten really good at Pivoting inside your organization and escalating to, to land privileged access during an attack. And the privileged access they most want is your domain admin, your domain admin credentials, the credentials to your Active Directory infrastructure. They've learned how to sort of weaponize Active Directory to amplify their attack. And so management of privileged access is one of the most important things that organizations can do to protect themselves from modern ransomware attacks. So that's number one. And I I intentionally am saying more about that than I will about the other six. Two is basic cyber hygiene. So these are things that, you know, are Preventative in and fundamental in the configuration of assets when you put them to work in your organization to make sure that they, they don't have unnecessary features turned on really as part of your basic cyber hygiene approach. Three, managing exposure to supply chain risk. Almost every organization is shifting everything as a service, cloud based computing and other dependencies on supply chain vendors so we really have we really need to understand what kind of risk we're inheriting from those third parties and make sure that we've not created any inadvertent entry points through the supply chain four network monitoring unquestionably the front line of defense for proactively identifying and neutralizing ransomware attacks five incident management having a sound competent incident response plan is key to an organization Responding with the velocity that it needs to a cyber event like like a ransomware event, and given the prevalence of ransomware, it's really important these days to have a specific ransomware focused incident response playbook. Six is vulnerability management. Criminals of all types continue to exploit vulnerabilities. The the time to active exploit from vulnerabilities once they're announced has dramatically reduced over the years so that now we can point to times when you know less than 24 hours lapsed from the time a vulnerability was announced to when a criminal, one or more criminals were exploiting that vulnerability. So vulnerabilities really need to be remediated on a timely basis, especially if they're in any assets that are exposed to the internet. And finally, number seven, training and awareness. Anybody in your organization with user credentials is on the front line of defending your organization from phishing and other entry points from criminals. And so making sure that those frontline defenders have the right training and awareness they need is another critical area of protection.
1: Well, one of the things our listeners would want to know, Dave, is why are law firms particularly so deficient in their preparedness? What's your opinion about that?
2: Well, I think law firms, and and, and I should say that in our study, we did not segregate the data by industry types. My uh, commentary here is going to be general. I have in my past done some work with law firms, and, and that certainly colors my answer here as well. Like many other organization types, law firms are in a rush to embrace the latest technology. And in that rush, I think that lots of organizations may be losing uh, focus on some of the basics. And that's, that's one of our hypotheses in this, in this report. Look, it makes sense as an organization that we spend a lot of resources and time expanding our technology capabilities, especially when you consider what the world has been like over the past 18 months as we've been dealing with this need for, you know, unprecedented, unencumbered remote work. And so that rush to implement new technology is, I think, one of the things that, that may be causing organizations to overlook the basics. I think another factor is, the sort of challenge in introducing internal impediments to access, right? Lots of organizations, especially in smaller organizations have set up their environment. So basically anybody with any access has access to everything. And that sort of hard shell and GUI center approach to cybersecurity is a very rich playground for a cyber criminal. Because once they've made it through that outer shell, they can do anything and they have access to everything. And so I think that's that's another reason we see organizations of all types, including law firms, being um, exposed to ransomware as a risk. Dave, you mentioned about
0: the rush to implement new technologies and those types of things, but can you tell us some other key
2: data findings from the report? You know, I'll go back to what I said about the attack pattern where ransomware criminals have gotten really good at, at Pivoting and escalating privilege. So based on based on that precursor, it's probably no surprise that personally, my top three findings in this report are all related to privileged access management. And, you know, number one, 63% of organizations, according to our study, have not implemented multi-factor authentication for privileged accounts. I was really surprised by that. Sixty-three percent is is a really high number not to have implemented multi-factor authentication. Given that those are the those are the proverbial keys to the kingdom, we found that sixty-four percent are not auditing service accounts, and service accounts need to be audited for audited for both their use, the kind of privileges they have, and their assignment. Service accounts are routinely installed on you know endpoints throughout the organization to facilitate. Or ease the deployment of technologies. In fact, ironically, there are a lot of security technologies out there, security software that ask, that ask administrators to, to install service accounts as part of their installation process. Those service accounts are a key way that the criminals are able to get hold of those privileged credentials and so we really have to keep our eye on those and and absolutely minimize or eliminate their use but 64% are not auditing them and then there's the, you know there is a powerful new technology in the marketplace it's been around for a couple of years privileged access management and a privileged access management solution is a really great way to lock down privileged credentials we found that 77% have not have not implemented a privileged access management solution. So those are those are three key findings associated with privileged access management that we were surprised by.
1: I started taking notes because because I haven't heard that exact language exactly that way and that's a very high percentage not to have adopted.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very high percentage and look these are, you know, sometimes taking care of some of these issues. I mean, when you first deployed Active Directory years and years and years ago, you, you may not have been thinking about this. And that that's why it's it's important to circle back and take care of some of those basics.
1: So how much of a problem is it when law firms fail to evaluate the cybersecurity postures of third parties that are allowed access to their networks?
2: Another finding from the study that that I was really surprised by is that we found that 71% do not evaluate the cybersecurity posture of business or technology partners before allowing those business or technology partners access to their network. So you're basically letting unvetted users access the network at a rate of 71%. And that's that's a major risk for any organization when I think about law firms, it's an enormous risk because of the sensitivity of data that's typically in the possession of law firms.
1: It's another horrible statistic, that's for sure.
0: Well, I think uh, Target probably wishes they listened to you before their HVAC vendor got <laughs> access, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, we use that as a little anecdote in the report to, t- to highlight the importance of vetting your supply chain before you give them access. It's really too bad everybody can quote the
0: poster children. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break.
2: Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's legal translation service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, The Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org.
1: If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard.
0: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at Staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I.cc, and get five hundred dollars off with code Happy twenty four.
1: Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today our topic is, Why are businesses, including law firms, so vulnerable to ransomware? Today our guest is Dave White, president and co-founder at Axio, a company with an innovative methodology and software that provides companies visibility to their cyber risk and enables them to prioritize investments to protect their business and employees. Dave leads Axio's innovation team and federal team and is actively involved with clients deploying the Axio 360 solution. He is responsible for Axio's risk modeling, threat analysis, and insurance analysis activities.
0: Dave, in the first segment, you talked about the seven key areas, and one of them was training, which I picked up on because Sharon and I do that as well. But what percentage of your respondents conduct regular cybersecurity awareness training for their employees? And I'm going to guess that that number is probably on the low side.
2: (laughs) Yeah, John, let me ask you a question. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? (laughs) (laughs) If we're talking about cyber, I'm very pessimistic. (laughs) Okay. Well, in that case, I'll say it this way. 50% are not conducting user awareness training for email and web threats. So this is a you know glass half full glass half empty stat precisely 50%. The respondents are split. So I suppose the good news there is that 50% are conducting that training. We also found that only 45% are conducting proactive phishing assessments. I don't know why these numbers are so low, but I think that you know everybody's busy, users are busy and and you know organizations might get a lot of pushback from users or attorneys on, you know, spending billable time on training. And that might be why we find those numbers to be so low.
1: They are getting better. We saw at the beginning of the pandemic that the numbers then were low, but increasingly we're giving two, three, four training sessions a week. So that suggests to me that maybe if you measure again in a year, the numbers might be better.
2: (laughs) That's great news. And I know that, I mean, I love that you guys are doing this. There are a lot of good resources out there. So this is this is not a hard box to check for organizations.
1: It shouldn't be. The other thing I wanted to ask about was how law firms and others are doing with adopting technologies that detect and stop ransomware, which of course is currently a scourge for everybody. Are the technologies themselves somewhat unreliable or too expensive?
2: So this is a great question. What we saw in the study is that of organizations are not monitoring for deviations from an established baseline of network or system activity. So that's really looking for anomalies in the use of your technologies and and the use of your network. And then we found that 55% are not monitoring for or alerting on anomalous connections to the network. So so connections they weren't expecting to be made to the network and 64% are not monitoring for suspicious transfers of data or for processes that use excessive network resources. So those are indications that monitoring really isn't where it should be. And of those seven areas that that I talked about before, network monitoring is probably the most technically challenging, but as, as I'm sure you're aware, there are some really good outsourced solutions in the form of of MSSPs or managed security services providers. But you still need, even if you outsource your monitoring and there's some really good solutions out there for outsourcing it, it takes a while to get it implemented. It takes a while to tune it. And you're still going to need resources inside the organization who can respond, even if you've outsourced that monitoring. But especially for small to midsize organizations, outsourcing is the right approach
0: here. I would agree with that as well. And it just it surprises me how many um,
2: folks just really aren't even considering, you know, EDR solutions these days. So The good news is the EDR is taking off. The bad news is that there's still a lot of people out there who are dependent on, you know, the old school signature based detection schemes on endpoints, which are just they're just not effective at this day and age. We certainly agree with that. Well, shifting gears a little bit, your report talked about, and you also mentioned
0: in the first segment about going back to basics, the back to basics approach, which takes some of the easy to exploit weaknesses off the table. What does that approach
2: involve? Can you talk a little more detail about that? It involves those seven basic areas that we discussed earlier. And I would say that, you know, the, the highlights for me there are get privileged access under control. And if that's my number one recommendation, my number two and my number three recommendation are the same thing. And then number four would be something like, you know, has to do with cyber hygiene and making sure that all of the assets on our network are configured in a way to minimize their technology exposure. Shut down ports, make sure that you've got the right protective technology like EDR installed. Get your hands around supply chain risk management. Not easy, but building a supply chain risk management program is something that, that every organization today needs because we are all, look, we're in this era of mass specialization. So we've got, we, we're going to have increasing dependence on the supply chain and we've got to manage the risk that we're, that we're inheriting. We talked a few minutes ago about network monitoring. Look, I was really surprised at the number of organizations that have not implemented you know an incident implemented or tested an incident response program or incident response playbook for ransomware we found that you know only only 26% of respondents are using ransomware specific scenarios to evaluate their incident response plans. So that, that I thought was really, really low. And, and given the prevalence of ransomware, we need to be prepared to respond to a ransomware event. So, so those are, those are some of the basics that I think we have to get back to.
1: Well, we probably talked already about some of the cybersecurity basics that you mentioned at the end of the report. There are five simple actions identified there. Maybe you could quickly go through those for us since we're about at the end of our time.
2: Yeah, so the five key recommendations are secure and control privileged credentials with multi-factor authentication or privileged access management and severely restrict or eliminate service accounts. So that's those those privileged access. I can't emphasize them enough given what's happening in ransomware. Improve your defensive posture by shoring up some basic hygiene elements through secure configuration of endpoints and servers. Three is revisit supply chain controls. It's really time to take a more formal approach to supply chain risk management. Four, update or build a ransomware incident response plan and test that plan. And five, reassess your vulnerability management program. Attackers, criminals are weaponizing vulnerabilities at a faster rate than we've ever seen before. So we have to be we have to be prepared to very quickly respond and roll out patches to address vulnerabilities once they're once they're identified. If our listeners want to learn more, where can they get a copy of this report that you referenced? So the report's available for download from our website. You'll find our website at axio.com. That's a x i o.com. And your listeners can find it there. They can also find the ransomware preparedness assessment there on our, or access it from our homepage by clicking on the free assessment button at the top of the webpage
1: those are all very valuable resources. So we want to say a sincere thank you for being our guest today, Dave. We really appreciate the knowledge that you've imparted to our audience. I think that ransomware has been about the scariest thing that most law firms have seen, unless, of course, they've had wire fraud committed because of business email compromise. But those are not so many in number, although they're the greatest financial risk. But just hearing what a report shows, I think it makes a a big impression on folks to hear some of the stats, uh, and just to hear people who are in different areas of the cybersecurity world talk through all that together, I think it's very useful and instructive for them. I did really enjoy your study, and I hope people will take a look at it and take a look at your site for resources. Thanks for being our guest today.
2: Sharon, thank you. John, thank you as well. Thank you both for your interest in our work at Axio. It, it's really been an honor and a distinct pleasure to spend time with you today.
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at sensei.ent.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.